welcome to MiceCast with the host Greg, Mike, and Shaft. It's you know it's funny. So many years later, he just hasn't escaped that moniker. No, um, <laughs> he's not. That's fine. I, it's fine. It's, he will not be escaping. It's a badge. It's a badge of honor. Uh, okay. <laughs> when you know people that don't know the story, if they ever go back, I'm not I sure prefer, honor would be the <laughs> mark of shame. A little more, but accurate. it's still <laughs> yes, it is. Oh boy, well we haven't one uh, night of drinking. What can I say? Do you mean one, one sip of the wine cooler? No, that wasn't a wine no, cooler night. That no, was a, that was that Australian stuff, the good stuff. Oh, uh, wine, yeah. The Aussie John had sent us a care package. Yes. That's funny. As uh, I am, um, I was talking to a, a an old friend of mine, and I was telling him about our hobby here, and um, I was telling him about how Shafter and his nickname. And I went out and I found the episode that it was and sent him the link. Was he entertained? He, I, I didn't get feedback. I haven't talked to him since. But Oh, okay. But I went out. Well, and I, that's that's the answer right there. You haven't talked with him since. <laughs> okay, well, so now that was, I gave him the Disney Dads one. And I gave him, it was called Looking Back Ahead, January 18th, 2008. Wow. <laughs> 2008. <laughs> Seems like such a long time ago. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that was a while ago. So anyways, we haven't recorded in a while. Um, I've had a crap load so of crap going on. You have a what? I ha- I've had a crap load of crap going on. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of figured when, you know, you didn't get back for any scheduling. Uh, but that's okay. You know, crap happens. Life happens. Uh, you know, all that. Uh, so there's... You know, before we get to the main topic, is there any milestones, anything? Oh, well, and my kid now works for Disney. He works in security. You're uh, kidding. No, no. He's been there a month, maybe a month and a half. So Chip off the old block. And he's already managed to be late twice. Oh, don't. <laughs> once, once was to training or orientations or something. So I, I'm like, dude, you can't do this, you know. Uh it's the easiest money you're ever going to make, and you're going to be overpaid for everything you do. So don't screw it up. You know? And what uh, what kind of shifts has he been pulling? Uh, gates and um, standbys. Walk. I didn't know. Realize they walked the valet at the the hotels. Uh, so he's had shifts like that. So pretty much, he said they're boring. I'm like, well, sometimes he's by himself. He says, well, he says, well, sometimes I'm with people. I'm like, well, talk to him. He says, they're old. I have nothing to talk to him about. <laughs> uh, okay. And, and I know some of the names. He's mentioned some of the people. Um, so, and, you know, we should say we uh, security lost to um, one active and one former uh, security officer in the last week. We've lost two. And to old age, right? Not in the line no, of duty. No, no, no. Well, yeah, rare. Okay, I don't know if one's ever been lost in the line of duty. I'd have to do some research. No, we've, no. Had, we've had a close call where an idiot kind of put himself in harm's way when he shouldn't have, but we won't get into that. It's a we we have lost a couple while they were on duty, but it was from natural causes. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that's happened. But one of these guys, I'm Richard could expound more. One had been ill for a while with some form of like, I believe brain cancer or something. 
he had been an hourly when I was there. He was a lead, second shift lead, and then he moved up into supervision quite a while ago. He's the nicest guy in the world. And the other guy, ex-military, I think he was 82nd Airborne, if I remember right, and he, Richard could tell more, he was working last week, mentioned yeah. some pains, and, you know, four days, five days later, he's dead. Ugh. Yeah, yeah he's he, he a year goes, older than I am. So. Yeah, he goes to see the doctor. Doctor takes an x-ray, sees a mass. Let's go find out what this is. But by that night, he's uh, unconscious on life support. He's gone a few days later. I mean, it was just... That's fast. It, is, I, it still has not really set in. So they didn't. Because I just talked to him like a week ago. They didn't open him up or anything. It was just an X-ray. Uh, my understanding was he never made it to surgery. He, yeah, it was just the X-ray, and then they were going to do surgery, but they never had the opportunity. But you said it's pancreatitis, right? I don't know. That's th- th- these are things that I was told it had to do with the pancreas. A lot of people have said the C word. But I don't know if that was the case or not, or if it was something completely different. So, you mean cancer? Cancer, yes. Well, a mass, most of the time, I mean, it can be benign, but most of the time a mass uh, is cancer. Or it could be a cyst, or it could be a, any of well, a number. Well, that, that would be a benign mass, yeah. I mean, no, 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 a cyst could be a very, I mean, if it's... Uh, filling up with pus, poison, those type of things that would not be benign. I know. Okay, but okay. it's it's not something that's killing you. It can be drained. It's fairly uh, innocuous. I've had cysts. But it, had it, it but I'm saying is it doesn't have to be cancer. There, I can think of dozens of different things that it can be. But in any case, whatever well, it was, pancreatitis uh, usually takes you quick, and there's no really anything to do about it. And you could have had screenings. You know, you'll never find this stuff on your blood test. I mean, even if you go every year, I mean, some things you just can't cover. And every cancer is different in every part of your body. So it's it's really a crapshoot sometimes. Um, now, you know, Mike, you got to sit on the pillow for a while and drink some yucky liquid, didn't you? <laughs> Not the pillow. There was no pillow sitting. <laughs> did you did you wish you had a donut to sit on? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> did we already talk about this? I, I don't know if we talked on well, here. I don't know if you okay. want to talk well, on okay. here. But anyway, the, the, you know, going for something. I, I think I had a, a pain in my knee or whatever, and um, a pain in the knee, and they go there that direction. No, no, no. Boy, no. Oh. And he's looking at your chart, and he goes, "Well, it's been a while since I seen you." I go, "Yes, because I avoid doctors like the plague." <laughs> Right, and uh, he's like, "Well, it's past your birthday, and you need to go get the the rotor rooter." You know, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, "No," he goes, "No, it's not painful at all." You know, you sleep through it mostly, even though we, they don't officially put you under a general. They, I like that mostly. Well, okay, I didn't. Rem- I I was knocked out, but no, I know what you mean because when they did the thing where they had to send the camera down my throat to look at my heart. The guy said, "I, you know, well, I could make some rude comments. I don't put things like that down my throat." So he said, "I fought it, and they thought they're going to have to call a general anesthesiologist." Next thing, you know, they managed to get it down there. I don't remember, even though I remember going in the room and at first having a little bit of discomfort. Once it's over and you're done, like God, I don't even remember. Yeah, 
the whole thing. It's kind of weird what what it does to you. But anyways, let's not talk about you know anal issues and you know seeing a blue moon and wonder if the doctor's got his whole fist up there or whatever. Breathe easy, just relax. Yeah. But anyways, so that's that's interesting. Now Richard also told me that because we were discussing the. Remember when he told us where that Easy Up was, and I was showing him on a map where maybe where he described couldn't be where it was because of you know straight lines and angles yes, but when we're at the regardless top of the, top of the structure yeah. yeah regardless of that something is about finished in that area that richard could tell us more about are we talking about the building i was telling you about earlier this week no what what did they have to finish first before they were going to build behind so they can get the river open well we still got to get the uh, railroad tracks the canyon and the river itself going through there didn't you tell me the other day the canyon or the uh, the wall? The yeah, new the, can- the the canyon wall almost touches uh, Hungry Bear Restaurant. I was kind of shocked. I was on the island, and it's only on Tom Sawyer's Island. It's only been about two weeks since I've been on the island, and suddenly here's this whole new wall going up across the backside that wasn't there two weeks ago, and they have the, the, the if you take a look in the artist rendition. Uh, it's like a cliff slide that has the waterfalls coming down and the train trestle goes across it. That whole section, the main part of the structure, looks pretty much set and ready to go. Now it's all the decorative and the uh, rock formations that they have to put on and the actual trestles themselves going up. But suddenly, yeah, there, it's okay. I can see where everything goes, where the, how the river's formed and which direction it's going to go now. Okay. It took a lot of prying to get that because you told me, hey, well, the new wall is almost complete. Yeah, it's almost complete. No, I thought you were talking about uh, my other comment that I meant. Uh, you won't believe I, they're going to build. Richard's well, been telling me all this time that he still wasn't 100% sure they were going to build Star Wars land because he hasn't seen any construction yet. And he's stealing the ground. Well, well, that re- remember, if Greg would remember correctly, what I said is I remember. I don't believe. Correctly. No, you don't believe it correctly. I don't believe, I don't buy anything until I actually see steel going up. Well, this last week I actually see steel for a structure going up. So I guess they're serious about building this. Well, you missed you you missed a lot of action in the construction world because they don't put steel up until there's concrete and steel in the ground, and they've run a lot usually a lot of underground work. Uh, so a lot of that's been done. Because I used to say I don't I believe they're putting a second park in once they have a new parking lot. Because that makes sense. You can't build a new park without being able to park the cars that were there. So once they had a new parking lot, they're kind of committed. Same way here. They've torn everything down back there. They're committed. They're not going to stop now. Uh, I don't think you would have bought in once they started moving dirt. Yeah, back there. Yes, I uh, exactly. It. I'm surprised he was still saying things like that, that you know, he, he's not 100% convinced, but. You know, they're cutting the river off. They're shortening it. They've tore everything down back there. That kind of convinces me. You know, but that's me. You know, call me a realist or something. I don't know. Um, you, other than you, you easily accept what you easily drink the Kool Aid. Sure, he does. Cause yeah, because that, that's his history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there were some couple other things that let me see. It was Theme Park Insider. They had a new look at the Guardian Gal- um, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, that was up on their website. Uh, and also that something about ABC's making a TV drama about the Disney parks. 
uh, little things I wonder oh, if you get. Oh, no there. way. Really? Hey, real quick, did you see the uh, the uh, teaser trailer and the poster for the new Guardians movie? Yes. I did I see had, the teaser trailer. Post, poster, no. Teaser trailer, yes. And on that vein, then, I would have to ask you, if have you seen the final trailer for Rogue One? Yes. Yes. And I was kind of surprised by a particular character that I didn't know for sure was going to be in this film. Uh, he, wears, he wears black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a gravelly kind of metallic voice. Yeah. Um, he was so the, he was in the first trailer, too. You know that, right? Was he? Yes. Okay, yeah. I, I, I guess yeah. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. So let me ask that, this. That, that was the big announcement that James Earl Jones was going to do the voice again, too. Let me ask you this, then. Are these the Bothams that gave their life to get the plans? I don't think these are the Bothans. I, I you keep you keep referring to that, and that's in uh, Return of the Jedi, where they're talking about no. the new stuff. No, isn't it? No, no. Because no. it's, it's, isn't it's, it the same? Isn't this? Isn't it the same lady? Looks like the same lady, but the, yeah. her wistful oh, many Bothans died to bring us. That was that was yeah. the first one. Yes, it was. To no, get him the plans for the Death Star, yes. Ah, oh, jeez. So my my question is, it it appears that these people are going to find this guy's the girl's father, who is the brain behind the the Death Star. So it would almost seem that these are the Bothams that, because uh, we don't know what this you know if these people are from a certain planet. Uh, you know, Both or you know, yep. or you know, whatever it's called. Uh, so I just—that's just a question to me. I asked it at my. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Was in Return of the Jedi when they're getting ready to make, or uh, yeah, Return of the Jedi when they're getting ready to make that attack on the second Death Star. What are you? What are you referring to when you say that? Because there's people shouting at their iPods right now. Probably, yeah. How How are you getting that information, Richard? I just looked up the movie clip and I pulled the clip and it has while she's saying making that whole speech, you got Lando Calrissian and you got Han Solo both sitting there during the briefing. So okay. not too many movies that have both of them sitting there in a war briefing. Well, get testy about it. Uh, yeah, you know, now you that do. you say now that you say that 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 sounds a little more correct. Yeah, I can buy that. Mike's not 100% convinced, but I'm seeing that visually in my head right now. Um, but I thought it was from the first one. Regardless, <sighs> the trailer looks good. So there's a, there's a Reddit about people. It's for Death Star 2, not Death Star 1. Could quit making this mistake over and over. <laughs> okay, so other people have done the same thing. Nice. All right. Well, it looks good. I think it, because uh, I had read a few articles that when they went into reshoots, that there was a thought. That there might be a lot wrong with the film that they're needing to fix. Um, and it could just be rumor mill, pan, you know, that, oh, look, reshoots. Well, a lot of a lot of films do reshoots, but it seemed to be extensive. So hopefully it's all worked out and, you know, it will go okay. well. So here, here's how, here's how your question gets answered, Greg. I'm, Which one? Will, will Bothans be dying? Oh, okay. Because Bothans died to bring you Death Star 2 plans, which you've just confirmed, okay. right? This story is about Death Star One. Yes. So Bothans did not bring plans for Death Star One. They brought plans for Death Star Two. 
I understand that. After what was just previously said, yes, I understood that. Okay. Or were, oh, were you still not clear to just this no, last month? No, it sounded like you weren't clear. Oh, no, I was very clear. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I got it. This is one. That was two. Very clear. Um, what's funny, though, is don't you think the same girl's father would have been the brainchild of the first one? Because the second one was pretty much just bigger than the same thing, right? Uh, then in what? The new, in the new mo- new movies, they just put it inside a planet. You know, it's, it's still kind of like a Death Star. <laughs> yeah, but did you see what the uh, there was a website that actually had a comparison of the Death Star compared to I can't remember what the name that one Star Killer Base. Yeah, where it's like about five times the size of a Death Star. Yeah, they just put it into a planet, but no, no, no. What I much- said. The first movie, the first Death Star, and then the third movie, the second Death Star, basically the same ball, but bigger the second time around. And then uh, the third movie, the same kind of concept, but in planet size. I, I thought I, both the first I, and the second Death Star are the same size. I, I thought the second one was bigger. Ah, uh, could be. I, I don't know. Probably right. really doesn't matter, but I thought there was a reference to, you know, bigger, more powerful, that kind of a thing. Um, but moving on. Stronger, uh, this is not why, yeah, faster. stronger. This is now not why we got together today. Right. What we got together for is a new book by Scott Renshaw called Happy Place Living the Disney Park Lives. So he is a, well, he's not a native of Utah, but he currently lives in Utah and is a journalist. And he wrote this book about some unique Disney fans who have, you know, interesting stories, unique stories. So he put it together in a book. He spent, I think, a, I don't want to get this wrong, but I want to say he spent a little over a year uh, talking to people. And Richard and I got a chance to interview him. He was, uh, he came out to California to spend a couple days at the Disney parks and then had a book signing at a Fullerton Barnes & Noble. And that's where Richard and I caught up with him. And we'll play that interview at the end of the show. Uh, right now, we're going to discuss what we thought about the book Uh I, I had a I, I don't want to say criticisms, but I, I've met or talked to one or two of these people uh, prior to knowing, you know, hearing these stories in the book. And I had heard about some of the other ones. And then I got explanations about things like Disney bounding, which I had never heard. Well, you guys tried to explain to me what it was, but yeah, I was going to say that was a really, whole show on that one. Not really. Not really the whole origin. show, but we were distracted by it going on around us. Right, right. But there was, wasn't really an origin to it. And if this is truly the origin to it, which, based on his research, it does sound correct, it's kind of funny how it, it got going because I thought it was like a a binding thing, you know, not, not, you know, the way the book describes it. A girl put up her blog, she was Disney bound and was planning her wardrobe, and then it becomes known as Disney bounding. As uh, in traveling. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, it makes sense, I guess. Uh, you know, like say, uh, you know, I, I was always kind of curious where that term came from. And, you know, the explanation that's given in the book is as good as anything else I've ever heard. So I, I'm willing to take that at face value. Yeah. I mean, me too. Uh, so the guy that's been to the park now thousands of <laughs> thousands and hundreds of days in a row, uh, he actually was there the night we were interviewing him and you'll hear it on the interview where he, he was ready to leave and he was trying to say goodbye. And I'm like, Hey, just come in and, you know, say hello. And he's, Oh, I'm in the book, you know, and he's the guy, he's an air force vet. 
he was out of work. We we were out of work about the same time, probably cross paths because I still had my pass when I first got laid off, so I was using it a lot. And you know, like him, we both seem to feel the same thing that people are going to think you know we're using our unemployment money to go to the Disney parks, which was not the case. Uh, but he turned it into a much bigger thing than I did. I, I didn't go that much. And, and funny enough, he also lives in the same city I live in, which I thought was kind of funny. Because uh, when I, I saw something online once, Disney or, you know, certain city resident, uh, blah, blah, goes to the park. I'm like, no, I don't. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, the descriptions sounded like, wah. Um, but, you know, it's they got not in, always about you. <laughs> they got into a thing with a, a guy who I've spoken to. He was in some of my Flickr groups. And he complained. He, he's, he's one of the guys that complains about some of the stuff they've done in New Orleans Square. Uh, something about this window that is not centered, that everybody has this big issue with, you know, when they did the expansion of Club 33. Richard took me in not too long after some of that work was done and I looked at it from an architectural view and I was unsure if the area was actually complete, uh, you know, if they were going to add shutters, you know, anything like that. To me, it didn't really stand out glaringly as being bad. Not everything is centered in architecture. Um, well, I was going to, I was going to ask that very question. Does it have to be centered? I mean, you don't always want to make it all symmetrical. I mean, uh, again, I'd have to see it. And I mean, it's not to say, there's not bad architecture either. I mean, uh, I drive uh, in in Fountain Valley across the street. God, I hope he doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> across the street from Miles Square Park is this two-story house that has a round window. I think it's a round window. It's been a while. But it's kind of like in a circular tower. And it just doesn't work. Or is, was it a square one and around? Uh, anyways, this window just looks so wrong and so odd. I don't know who would ever want to do that. Now, and in if my you are mind, listening, that's Greg at MiceCast.com. In my mind, that is not correct. But someone else obviously liked it. And, you know, we used to have kids come from the schools through our firm. And I had this one kind of snotty kid one day raise his hands. Hey, you know, I work part-time for this firm, and they've got all these Golden Nugget Awards. How many do you have? I'm like, well, you know, the, the measure of a firm is not by how many awards they have. These award contests cost money. You have to have cooperation between the builder, the architect, the interior designer, the landscape designer. Everybody's got to put money and skin in the game. Not everybody's concerned about that. They're concerned about making money, making their payroll, getting the next project. So some of those are kind of like personality contests. You get to these these uh, award ceremonies, it's like the same guys winning all the time. You know, it's, it's kind of like a good old boys club in some ways. Well, it's uh, also, if I, and correct me if I'm wrong on this because I don't know architecture, but I know like on some of the film awards, there's a lot of them that are out there that, oh, wow, I got this award and that award. Come to find out when I talk to a few friends of mine, they go, oh, yeah, and if you want to pay $150, you get the award, you get the little announcement. And they, they give out hundreds of these awards out every year. So it, it really suddenly kind of dilutes the whole process. No, it's not like that. But, you know, you if you want to be considered, you have to enter. And to enter, there's usually fees. So, and then it's usually shared between 
some of the disciplines that are involved in you know the the project if they're the a kind of discipline that's recognized obviously the guys hanging drywall aren't recognized for hanging drywall it's you know it's, it's usually all about design yeah design aesthetics of <laughs> uh, the interior exterior landscape uh overall plan design things like that but uh, i mean so, i got i gotta say watching some of those guys just throw that drywall up and up and it's done it's like they should be awarded. That is hard work. I'm amazed when I watch those. It guys. is hard work, and there's more to it. A lot of if you watch the guys, they actually put these strips of um, if they're using if they're going against wood because steel is pretty darn straight. So you usually don't have to do this, but in, in wood construction where the wood isn't as is perfect, um, there's these little thin strips of cardboard that you know the guy will kind of you know squint his eye, look down the line, put some up. It's, it's to basically make the drywall not like follow a bowing path all over the place it's, it's, it's they're trying to plane it out so it's all you know uh it's yeah it's all and those guys are very good they're quick um and it's it's hard work you are you are correct richard but and there might be a not, not in my in my circle <laughs> there weren't awards for that but it's, get, it's called you know, a paycheck yeah getting back to yeah most guys are more worried about getting their paycheck and paying their bills and their mortgage and whether or not they've got an award sitting on there um you know it's not an award's not necessarily getting these guys the next job i've never had anybody come in look for our work or when we talk to them so well how many golden nuggets do you have yeah, it just doesn't happen and that's right here yeah exactly and that is one of the awards the golden nugget it's actually a cool little trophy but you know i digress so going back to this design thing i, I don't think it's necessarily good or bad and i need to go back in and take another look at it but you know everybody's a, a critic everybody's a quarterback uh sitting in their room watching their team uh lose or win so so things like that are just very um um personal i guess you could say and i asked i asked um scott you know why some people are in the book and why maybe some obvious choices aren't in the book. And I had mentioned some names and there were some names he would, would not mention why they weren't in the book. And, you know, like, rightly which, so. Which names are you, did you? Well, I'm not going to say because, you know, we discussed it and it was like, oh, okay. no, tell, we're not, tell, we're not. He, he wouldn't mention, cause I mentioned one name. He says, Oh yeah, that's, that guy's a nice guy. But you know, some people chose maybe not to participate. And he also didn't, I, if I, you know, and I may be. Tell me offline. Tell me. Tell me after. Yeah, I, I will. And I might be um, rephrasing his his statement a little bit. I don't know if Richard was standing there at the time, but you know, you don't want to go all to the same demographic. Let's say you go to Florida and hit all the the known well, Florida guys because it's not a wide swath. Yeah, you you want a variety of stories that are going through there. Right. Though these seem to be a little more Disneyland centric. Um, you know, there was some Disney World stories like when he went to the convention. I, I found one funny. There's a story, and I, I it might have been Tony, the whore Tony Baxter. Um, I say that because he just shows up everywhere and kind of is the self-appointed guru of Disney. Um, they said, we got a big treat for everybody. And they the music started to come up. It was Magic Journeys. He said, if I got the story right, there's like 60, 70 percent of the room never even seen Magic Journeys or ever heard the music because uh, they're a younger crowd, I guess. And so, so I thought that was kind of them. yeah, it was it was kind of lost in him. And the, and the Disney people organizing it just thought, oh, people are going to go nuts for this. And it was also in 2D. So that kind of loses ah. some of it thing, you know, and it's funny in my my um, 
Smoking Gorilla Lounge, a new web series about cigar reviews. Uh, we also Speaking have. Speaking of horrors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we also, you know, we actually meet in this place and then we film one night, turn it into a studio. One of the guys that comes in now, he's in the industry and he's working on a thing that's an NDA that I can't really discuss. But one of his friends is this guy named Richard. And I, I don't remember the guy's last name, but his credits are pretty impressive. Shall I mention the word Tron? And the original Tron and the, the whole light design was this guy's buddy. And then I was, so I'm looking up because, you know, when people tell you they know people and, uh, and I was like looking through the, the Tron credits trying to find this guy's name. I'm like, did he actually work for Disney or did he work for a company where the company gets the credit, but the guy worked for the, you know, that company. Yeah. No, he worked for Disney. So he gave me the name. So I looked up IMDB and all that. Oh, sure in hell this guy is who he says he is and he also worked on magic journeys which i thought was interesting yeah uh, and he worked on some stuff mike you would know outside of that tiberian wars he worked for electronic video, arts video game yeah. okay he worked he worked on some of those command and conquer games we loved so much back in the day so i, I thought that was kind of cool that is cool yeah so uh, Tell me, you, you both, you both, you guys uh, read the book. You know, pull out a. You know, what what did you think? I know, Mike, you had the biggest question. I think the one of the most uh, valid questions that you texted me. Did you ask that question? Yes, I did. You'll you'll hear it. And okay. I I don't know if I totally agree with him. His answer was no. He thought nobody had this unth unhealthy connection. You know that everybody was very genuine about their their passion. Well, sure. Like, I get, everyone's I get, genuine. Yeah, I'm genuine right. about but Well, I would say that one of the things when we were talking about people that quote-unquote weren't in the book, uh, he kind of alluded to some that might have been a little too hypercritical, some that might have had – it just really didn't fit in. He was trying to keep people that are just ordinary people that just had a little extraordinary enjoyment – with the parks in there. And I could see that a little bit in the writing there. The, the type of people were for the most part is the person that you would run into every now and then, not the person that you're going to be chased down by. Yeah. And maybe, you know, he wasn't going for a lot of the professionals, let's say the Disney you know, professionals like us. He didn't contact us. Like, why not? No, just kidding. Well, but you mean uh, people are like making money off of their fandom? Well, maybe, I mean, there's some people in here. I think uh, Deb Wills has mentioned, uh, and her story was kind of interesting how she kind of got going in it. Uh, the guy I had never, you know, cause some of these stories you've heard, you've heard about bounding. We've heard in the news about the guy that's gone a thousand plus or however many days. Had you ever heard of the guy? It was it, the chapter three, John and the pit crew, this guy that goes and rides radiator Springs multiple oh, times again. a day. And he's now where he, you know, keeps this little thing in his, uh, his lanyard where he, he's written a number down. Of how many times he's ridden. It's like, to me, that seems a little obsessive, you know, but, uh, to that person, it's probably not. That's his, that's his thing. It's his gig. I have no problem with that. Uh, I, I, you know, would hate to mention probably how many pictures I have of, you know, certain castles. When I go in, <laughs> I tend to take a castle picture. Right. Yes. Um, and, and don't you wish it now? I mean, have you ever thought, God, man, I wish I would have taken pictures of the corner of, magnolia and whatever yes because i don't yes. remember what it looks like anymore no, because it's and, changed you and, know and, um you you know there's facebook groups out there that that 
have documented places that I lived at when I was like, you know, five and six. Mm-hmm. And those people were smart enough to grab a picture of their house being built in the middle of a pasture. Think of mm-hmm. you know, Back to the Future, right? When he goes back with his... <laughs> Yeah, his, yeah. his street is empty. You know, they took pictures of that, and then they have a picture of it now, and they can blend them together. And I'm like, I love that? those pictures where people take like an old, like an old picture, and then they they'll like hold it out and they try to like match, match the it angle with, with what yeah. it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, that's just, that's kind of an obsession, like some of these people. And I guess you know what's funny. This is along the line, <coughs> and I know I'm doing most of the talking, so you guys jump in anytime you want to, but. Uh, one of the other podcasters out there and I uh, had been wanting to do a film, and I, I think I told Scott this, that is basically what this guy's written. Now, we may have had different people, but I said, yeah, we want to do a Trekkies-type documentary on the Disney fandom. You know, these kind of people. These are the unique and interesting stories that would play well, I think, and be similar to Trekkies. I mean, there, there was a lady who goes to work every day in her Star Trek uniform. Yes. And her, her work allows that. Okay. Well, I go to work every day in my so, okay. Disney that's not, the, that's not the same, Richard. And you know it. But, that, yeah. Um, I had to throw it in there. I do every now and then. That You know, I mean, that's, to me, a li- I love Star Trek. But that's just a little bit on the edge of strange, don't you think? Quirky, uh, off, well, you know? a little obsessive. You get side eye, right? That yeah. You know, okay, so so there's some things that that people are, as a whole, are accepting of, right? And then there's a line, and when and when you cross the line, um, they let you know it. Well, yeah, you you know if a line's crossed, the the group, the room, right? The room, air quotes, the room. You can feel the room change that the lines have been crossed. You know what I'm saying? Well, so wearing yeah, where, where, where your Star Trek uniform to work every day, it might be a line. That would, you know, okay, in, in my world, you know, and I haven't worked in an office regularly in quite a while, um, but that would have crossed the line. In fact, I would probably say that day one, if it hadn't been, you know, unless it had been on Halloween, the first time someone wore their uniform in would have been questioned. The second time would have been doubly questioned <laughs> and probably would have been a group meeting with the, uh, you know, the higher ups to decide, are we going to violate anybody's working rights to get rid of this weirdo? Um, because this just doesn't work for the firm. You can't go to a meeting with clients dressed up like Spock. Well, I was going to say that's also, for you, in the most part, the environments that you have, you have a clientele that comes in that you have to maintain a certain professionalism about. Even Mike, with his job, even though he's a government hack, still has to have a matter of decorum about how things are going. I've met up with him for lunch. I know what he wears. But if no. you have if you have a person that just, is I'm just kidding that is just uh, you know that sits there and pun- does key punch all day long on mundane stuff that's sitting there something just shy of Joe versus the volcano <laughs> and you have a person that's wearing a Star Trek uniform I don't think anybody's going to notice. Well, oh no, I, I believe they're going to 
They're going to notice. <laughs> I guarantee you they're going to notice. Now, whether or not they care or they just roll their eyes at that guy. Well, yeah, I think it's going to be a combination of they don't care and they may extend the energy to roll an eye. Well, oh, I, 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 I don't know. I there's think a line. People, Every people room. Are judge, people are judgmental. Yeah, I don't yeah. care if they say they're not. They are. Well, And anybody that tries to say they're not, you are. It's how they let people know about their judgmentalism. Yes, and you know you're right. If if we were in the back room of UPS, well, UPS has probably got a uniform. Uh, you know, pick some like widget assembly place. Uh, maybe not, but that I, I'm guarantee you, most of the guys sitting around you is gonna like. I don't. You know, we don't want to go to lunch with Joe. What about you? No, no, I don't think so. Let's make an excuse. And well, you know, they also know. You also tend to, if you're in a workplace, you know your coworkers to some degree, right? Yes. So, so I, yeah, I bet you yeah, they have fun with people. They're, you know, they beat me up. You know, they have all <laughs> kinds of great lines to talk to these people. But you know, whatever. You know, I'm again. I, 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 I guess I am making somewhat of a judgment. But hey, whatever floats your boat. If it works for you, to me, that would be that line crossing. You know, um, and sometimes you know, I have my kilt. I've been nervous about wearing my kilt out to events other than. The Scottish festivals. The Scottish festivals. Now, I did wear it at Disney World once. We were celebrating, I think, Earl's wife's graduation from school or something. And it's too bad we actually didn't go to the, the English or United Kingdom Pavilion. We were at the Germany Pavilion. But one of Jeff, the Mandarin Mouse's buddies, like, oh, damn, I wish I would have known you were bringing your Celt. I would have brought mine. Well, you know, one guy alone is a little, you know, I think a little odd. Other people may not. Two or three guys wearing a kilt. Now it's now it's a party. You know. Yeah, yeah uh, it's a club. Yeah, it's it's a club. In fact, have you guys seen the commercial for the Great Park Neighborhoods at the Great Park? Have you seen that commercial? No. I no. watch mainly Hulu, so that's where I'm picking it up. There's a guy in the background, a big old you know uh, millennial beard, and a kilt. And I thought it was just kind of funny. You see him in the background of this one shot. Uh, and let's not even get into what the Great Park was supposed to be, and it's turned into just big housing development with a park in the middle. Um, you know, and a big giant balloon. Yeah, where's all those museums we were supposed to get? It was supposed to be, you don't have to go to L.A. for this crap anymore. We have it ourselves, and I haven't seen it. Uh, but, I, you know, again, move on. So Funding. Well, yeah, funding. Yeah, so well, the thing is, that's what we voted for, but that's not what we're getting. Just like the high-speed train boondoggle the brown streak uh <laughs> the broad streak is how johnny can call it no that's what i call it they call it um the brown doggle i just think the brown streak sounds <laughs> but that's a nice funnier. that's a nice sly, say, sly re- reference to silver streak right i was gonna say no, yes yeah, over no, streak it's, it's more like uh your in, tidy white your chonies yeah your underwear uh-huh yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, had you heard about these people that stand in line for profit? Yes. Well, this no. was the, the. I think he was wor- he was referring to um, the touring plans, and I asked him about the touring plans because I told him I just don't get the touring plans. And we've talked about this before. <laughs> to me, it takes all the spontaneity of just enjoying the park out. Oh yeah, uh, I remember that chapter where he was where yeah they were. Um... Yeah, they go they go in the park and report how long it takes to. Yeah, and this guy's basically turned it into you know, hey, I'll do it for you, and then they, I guess they pay him for his time, 
of standing in line to just, you know, so they can gauge how long things are taking. And, uh, and I know the, the passporter people do that too. They'll have people sit at the benches at the hotels timing the buses to see if they keep on their schedule fairly well. So they're, you know, when they publish their book, they can say on average, you know, this is what it is. That's I mean, that's got to be information. It is important information. Boring as hell. Um, but most, but data, I just, most data gathering is. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You've got to be the right mentality for that. But I, I just don't, you know, I I just don't get the Turing plans in general. I told them once. I said I'd read one. It took me from like Fantasyland all the way to Adventureland, then back over to Tomorrowland, then back to Fantasyland. Why don't you just stay there and enjoy yourself? <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> let let me ask you something, Richard. Um, Oh, and this may not be because you're a frontline cast member, but I'll ask you anyways. And it has to do with Fantasyland. This uh, gentleman I told you about in the Smoking Gorilla Lounge who has the friend of the Tron guy and who's also in the business. He's a visual arts guy, this guy I know. He said he recently went on Peter Pan and that they had recently done, and recently, let's call it last five years, done a major renovation in uh, Peter Pan. And I don't remember hearing about a major renovation. He said the, the effects were just phenomenal. I'm think I asked him, are you sure you're not talking about, you know, the one that was done in 82? Um, uh, they, they have done it in the last, they've done a couple major renovations with Pan in the last few years. Okay. He talked about a room that like you're in there with the stars, you know, as you're flying. He said it was just phenomenal. Um, yeah. You, you've, you've been there where, you take off out of London and then you come into the next room, which you're, you got like this high view of Neverland and you fly over the uh, island coming in. They really uh, made it look nice with the fiber optics in there. Okay. So they've upgraded. So I haven't, I haven't seen that. And then another guy in the room thinks he knows every, this is, a, this is one of those guys who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he is very intelligent. He used to design, uh, uh, SSD chips. Now he's in the uh, like cybersecurity stuff like that. So he is a smart guy, but he lets you know it, which is what's irritating about those kind of smart guys. He said he was recently at uh, Disneyland and he was telling me that oh the pirates affects you know the the ceiling doesn't fall down anymore. And I'm like ceiling fall. What? He says you know at the end uh, the ceiling used to come down. I said it didn't come down. I said it some of the 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 beams rocked and creaked and moved but they didn't fall down he says right. well none, none of that was working nothing nothing moved i'm like well you know i have seen where an effect is not working one day and it's back working the next day it's got to be fixed at night things do break down uh and then we got on to splash mountain he called it he says oh they're going to change that ride because it's racist oh. and i'm like i'm like what is racist about the attraction oh it's all over the place i said what that attraction has very little to do with the actual movie, other than a few of the characters, which you don't see. You don't see a lot of. You know, the uh, thing that people always complain about Song of the South was Uncle Remus and what was happening in the farm. This has nothing. To do, this is the stories that Uncle Remus has. And, and so I asked him. I said, "Have you ever seen the film?" He says, "No." I said, "Well, don't draw a conclusion about a film you've never seen." I said, "I've seen the film, and I." I personally don't find it racist. He says well, it's about slavery. I said, no, it's not. It's post three or it's in reconstruction or post reconstruction. And so he looked it up. And of course, a Wikipedia, whoever wrote it says, you know, racial blah, blah. I'm like, you know, see it for yourself before you complain about it. Because personally, I don't find it racial, but I know how I can see why some people would take it that way. But, you know, I'm, 
I'm not, and I don't see how the right is racial. But back to pirates. Have you, <laughs> have you, uh, unless being happy and singing songs is racial. Uh, uh, <laughs> racial, racist, not racial. Oh, I'm sorry, racist, sorry. Uh, <laughs> back, back to pirates. Have either one of you been on pirates lately to, you know, comment about the end finale and the burning embers and logs and not moving? The last I time have... I was on Pirates was we didn't go on when we all went in. I want no. to say it's for West Fest. Was the last time I was on Pirates, and I don't, you know, so April I didn't notice anything. You know, it's funny though. Sometimes I'm, I'm sure we'll both admit some of those little details because we've seen them so many times. We're not really looking for whether or not they're doing something or not doing something. Have you ever cruised through and you're like, oh damn, I didn't even look at the. Yeah. You know, the chickens bouncing up over in that cage or something. It's like you just yet yeah, you've got some Disney friends and like in our podcast group, you know, that notice every tiny little thing that's, you know, hey, that chicken's head only bounced up twice. It used to bounce up five times. Now, I want to go for the that's a guarantee. <laughs> yeah. I, go I mean, that's the people the, that, are, that are screaming at their uh, iPods right now. I don't outside of what you described of pirates at the ending with just the timbers and the creaking and all. I don't know of anything that quote swung overwhelmingly or pretended to fall or anything. I do remember we used to have the falling ceiling over at Indiana Jones. I know. And See, I'm wondering, you, mentioned, you mentioned that to me the last time when I asked you that question and it was specifically two pirates and those, some of those beams used to move around a little, I'm not saying a lot, but there was some creaking. Yeah. There was some, you know, a few degrees of movement back and forth. Yeah, it would swing a little bit. Yeah, there. it wasn't falling. Um, yeah, you, you had the pirates at the very last part, just before the lift, where the one guy's uh, on on the cannon, be no, uh, rocking it, and the other that. guy's on the rope. Before, yeah, I know before that, but I'm saying, I'm looking, I'm I'm picturing in my mind going through the jail cells with the dog and everything, and you just got the timbers that are kind of just swinging. You got that chair. That always looks like it's going to fall on you as it's just kind of swinging on. Yes, exactly. And, and it's just nothing, quote unquote, looks like it's falling. Nothing's dropping on there. No, but it gave you the impression. At least it did when I was a kid. I'm like, God, is this going to fall on us as we? Well, it gave you, know, you the impression, but you didn't actually see anything drop. Yes, exactly. So now we're we're getting away from the book here and there. Well, quite a yeah. bit, but that's, that's normal for our show, right? We can't. We've got. I don't want to say we have the attention span of a millennial, but. Um, Pretty close. We are easily, Dog got close. Squirrel. Uh, Squirrel. So, yeah, we are easily distracted sometimes. So then let's roll back to it then. Let's do that. Did you enjoy the book? I did enjoy the book uh, quite a bit, I, I even though I, I do find some of these people a, a bit obsessive. Um, but I, I don't. What I, Here's what I really liked about the book Scott made no judgment. And this is what I'd like to see more out of journalists. Let me make a decision, which I am now. Um, just give me the facts. Let me uh, glean from it what I will. And that's where I think this book really nails it. It does. As You're right. He, he, well, he, he, one thing. Go I'm ahead, sorry, Richard. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, the one thing I did notice a lot when he's t talking about the people is he goes a little bit into their background on how they got introduced into Disney as well. So you're not looking at them as today on 
this is their obsession and everything. No, this is the ordinary person, and you get a little bit better understanding of where that, we might call it obsession, but where that passion comes from. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> well, though there were some that you didn't quite get at all, but he, I think you're right. He didn't just step in on ride number 125 with the guy, you know, Radiator Springs, and this guy rides all the time. He went back a little bit, you know, like Deb Wills. He went back to why she was interested. Uh, the guy that goes has been going so many days in a row, you know, he, he set it up, you know, and this is what's good about his writing and his writing just flows so well. It's very easy to read. Yes. Um, and like I say, I'd like to, I, this is to me what journalism is supposed to be. And I know it's a little Pollyannish because journalism has rarely actually been like this. Um, when you go back to the early pamphlets that went around during the time of the revolution and the first few elections, it's pretty yellow all the time. Uh, and we're allowed, I mean, that's what our country kind of celebrates is the ability to say whatever you want, whether or not it's really true or it's not. true. <laughs> yeah. uh, bend it to whatever you want to, you know, until it snaps. But this is the kind of journalism I think we all would like to see a little more of. I agree. Uh, you know, now the book could have been a little bigger. Uh, you know, a few more stories, but maybe he'll follow it up, you know, if this one does well. But I think it is worth, you know, picking up. It's worth the read. It's available on Kindle. It's also on hardback. Uh, he'll mention when you hear the uh, interview his websites and, you know, where you can find it and all that. So no reason to really repeat that kind of stuff. Um, so but it should be noted that it's a one of the smaller publishers that publish the book it's not like one of the big huge new york firms so as a consequence that does bring up the price a little bit because it is a little bit more selective i'm just putting it out there yeah and it's not even one of the known disney presses you know that puts out like let's say like a lou Mangello book and some of the other ones uh that are out there that have, there's quite a few of them under a, uh, this certain uh publisher it's not it's not anything if i if, if i've got it right this publisher it's critical press. I don't think they have uh, uh, any other. I'm not 100 percent positive on that. I'm going to look it up here while we're talking. But it didn't ring a bell to me as one that uh, was one of those ones that had all kinds of little, you know, I worked at Disney for 10 years and I'm going to write a book. Wow. If you go to the critical this book is on the front page. Well, it just came out. It's their newest book, I'm sure. What did I do? I must have spelled this wrong. Yeah. Fat finger typing here. Uh, yeah, well, you know, and he's got a web, uh, a website, uh, Facebook, you know, all that. Yeah, bam, right there when you go to the, go to the, go to it. You know. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> here. Yeah, I'm looking at the description on the back of the book, too, and I think this hits the nail on the head of exactly what it, what his book was meant to be, is for most people around the country, around the world, they look at Disneyland, because uh, Greg's right, it's predominantly Disneyland. There's a couple stories about Florida, but mostly Disneyland. It's the occasional once in a while, maybe once in a lifetime visit, and he's talking about people that, well, spend thousand plus days there so yeah and i think i did mention to him it might be on uh, may or may not be on the recording because I, I we talked outside of that you know we've we've 
we've got a mutual friend, uh, Richard. And I know more, I think, than you, Mike. I, I'm sure you've met Carl, and yes. Uh, and he's mentioned to me on more than one occasion how, when you know, his first few trips to Disney, he felt at a disadvantage because the locals knew all the ins and outs, and he felt like, you know, being a tourist rolling in the town it was a little unfair because they knew how to get into this show or they knew if you got in that line at this time, you know, they, they had kind of worked stuff out that put, you know, the, the average traveler at a disadvantage of not being able to get into a show or not being able to get a meal in this restaurant because they know how to work the system. Uh, and until you, until you learn how to work that system, uh, you may not as enjoy the park as well as you could if, if if you figure it out, you know. And if I can take this moment to put our own ad in, the, you know, most mo- many I'm not going to say most many of the cast members can always help if you have if you're coming into Disneyland and you have that disadvantage of not being a regular or a local, they'll give you information that will help out on that, but. As Greg often likes to mention about the frontline cast member not knowing anything, I've run into an awful lot of people that are given the wrong information as well. So please, always feel free to write to us. We will give you the straight scoop on stuff. Yeah, it's funny because I asked uh, I asked my son about uh, legend or whatever you call it, what the, the thing where they take you around the park and tell you all the, the bad stories traditions. about traditions. If they gave him many funny stories about the Matterhorn or, you know, Disney's apartment. And he said, because he knows, he's heard me talk about this, you know, for years and has gone to the park a lot. And they must add a fairly decent traditions thing because none of those, you know, off the wall stories came out of uh, their traditions. But the the person, the, the guy house that we have the smoking grill and lounge at his daughter is a chef at the park and she told me kind of and i don't remember now but i remember her when she told me that they had told her a few not quite accurate things and traditions so uh, you know some of those stories just won't die no they won't so uh are we ready to roll the video the video God. <laughs> the interview, yeah, the interview yeah, video is really fun. great okay. i think we've uh you know beat the dead horse here and but I just want to say, well written again. Uh, you know, I like the stance he took without making judgment. Just you know, told us great stories and let us go from there. And I, I do think it's worth it's. It's nineteen ninety five. Should mention that or nineteen ninety nine. One of the two. Twenty uh, bucks. Nineteen ninety five. Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks. And like Richard said, it's a little thinner than some books, but I think it's worth it. And these are some stories. You you may know the periphery, but you don't know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. And Scott is giving you the Paul Harvey moment in these books. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to roll it then. Are you ready? All right. All right. We'll see you later then. We are recording. Okay. This is Richard and uh, Greg from MiceCast are here with Scott Renshaw. We're at the Barnes & Noble in Fullerton. And Scott has just written a new and interesting book about the Disney fan community, and that's the way I describe it. So tell me, Scott, tell me about yourself, how you started this whole process, and what the book's about. In your sure. Uh, so my name is Scott Renshaw. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Salt Lake City Weekly newspaper. So I live in Utah now, and I've lived there for almost 20 years. But I'm a native Californian, 
and grew up mostly in the Central Valley in Bakersfield, but I was born in San Diego, lived in, in Garden Grove during my kindergarten year, so not long enough, but had family, lived in Orange County. So I spent a lot of time in my summers. We always had come back to visit my cousins, and that was, that was the defining summer moment. It was always going to Disneyland with my cousins, and that was what my first park relationship was, was really connecting with it through those, that was the thing that you look forward to every summer. My brother and my cousins just wandering through the parks at a time when we didn't have cell phones. So that was kind of a brave thing to do. The parents would let you go and you could come back at, at some point. Um, and so over the years, as I moved away, I went to Northern California for, for college and lived there for 12 years. And now in Utah, I had to kind of get my vicarious experience through other things. And when fan websites started emerging and I could read periodically about these stories and it was a couple of years ago when I found the story of Jeff Wright's and his Iron Man streak he was then approaching a thousand days in a row that he was attending Disneyland visiting Disneyland and I thought there's something there's something interesting there because my first reaction was that's ridiculous and the immediate reaction after that is I wish I could be him so I knew that there was that always that tension between something that seems crazy is also something that makes perfect sense to someone. And then as soon as I started researching enough to know that this story hadn't been told already, it was amazing to me that no one had written this book before. Because when you look at any bookstore or library section and you see how many books there are about Disneyland, the fact that there isn't a book that explains why there are so many books about Disneyland and it's because of these people. Yeah, it's interesting because I know um, I, I do this web series, uh, Smoking Grill Lounge, and the guys don't get my Disney interest, let's say. They, they actually play a drinking game. If I mention Disney, they all pick up their drinks and they have to take another drink. But they find it odd for an adult man in his 50s to still be interested in Disneyland and maybe Disney films. So it is, it's, it's kind of brave on some hats one half to come out as being one of these people that can go every day um, so you 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 followed at least five or six different people probably more but there was like some main ones you hit on sure. some subcultures what led you from one culture or subculture to another how do you get all those different connections I think there were a few different kinds of fan stories I wanted to be able to tell. I wanted to find someone who had their one ride that that was their thing. So I found John Hale's story about his Radiator Springs Racers experience and um, you know, now working on 7700 and some times he's been on that ride. I wanted to find a story about people who had managed to turn their parks fandom into a career of some kind and was able to find those. So. I knew that there were certain individual types of stories, but it was also important to me that they weren't just types because for all of those people, there was a passion, there was something personal that led them to that point. And it was really important for me, as you say, it's there are outside reactions to fandoms of all kinds. And as someone who is a movie critic and a movie fan, there's assumptions about you as a movie fan, there are assumptions about sports fans and their crazy relationship with the thing that they love those relationships with their fandom always make sense. They always make an emotional sense to those people. And I wanted to tell those stories in a way that respected that and didn't just point and laugh. And isn't it crazy that someone would want to go to Disneyland that time? Well, it's crazy, but it also 
is kind of amazing and kind of beautiful in some way that someone gets that passionate about something. And I wanted to be honest and, and kind of respectful of those stories. That was one thing I, uh, I liked you had in the book where you were comparing the fandom with Disney on how they knew everything going on compared to like, okay, you know the ni 1996 NBA draft and who got drafted when and what, what position they were going on and all, all that. So it kind of brought it to a more realistic sense that there is more to it than just Bambi and Mickey Mouse going on, that there was, seems to be a lot more on there. Yeah, and almost to a level sometimes, again, we were talking about the new Star Wars land, and he's having guests come and tell him exactly what everything's going on back there, but they've never been back there. He's there every day, and it's like, there's really an interesting, like, um, ownership, especially with your pass holders. I was a pass holder for a long time, so I, I was kind of similar to that guy who went every day. Um, when I first lost my job, and I had, still had my premium pass until it ran out, I went a lot. I, I, I felt like I couldn't self-justify to myself going every day. It's like, I really got to find a job. So I'm working hard <laughs> to find a job. Um, I'm glad it worked out for him. And that's all. I'm thinking, God, you know, when I worked there, I spent a lot of days there, double shifts, you know. So uh, I get the obsession to a point. And uh, I'm guessing that most of these people were just everyday natural. They're normal people. They're just, they've got this one obsession, right? That's, that's the way I feel about it. And I, I think you're bound to it have eventually found and if I had probably dug harder I would have found people that it it perhaps affected their life in some adverse way maybe a relationship that didn't work out because <laughs> of it or some I didn't happen to find those stories and frankly that wasn't the story I was trying to tell not that I was trying to you know paper over anything but I think that there are again there are any kind of fandom you find that when you talk about ownership i mean how many sports fans do you know that are convinced they know the trade that would make oh, their team yeah, perfect it's our team right yes the, the armchair quarterback you know yeah. i have a brother-in-law who who refers to the washington redskins not as them or us it's me it's you know well i you know i i had a great a terrible game and so you know fans of all kinds have these relationships and you hope that for anyone who has a something that they're passionate about that they incorporate it into their life rather than having it take over their life and I think for these people it was just it's a part of their life that matters a lot to them it just it hasn't been a damaging or uh, overwhelming part of their life. Now you mentioned Comic-Con and you were kind of comparing that to D23 and maybe the, the, the bonding which is something only a few months ago I found out about because I hadn't had my pass for a while and he's not always available to sign in. We did a show in the park for the 60th anniversary oh, the of the Disney Bounty. I, I had no idea what that was. Mm. And they were trying to explain it to me. And then you explained it even more in the book, which I found interesting. Um, so have you been to Comic-Con? Well, I back you know, 30 years ago or so, I went to San Diego Comic-Con as a teenager. Mm -hmm. and, and um, But I also cover the Salt Lake Comic-Con as yeah. a journalist and, and in my role for the, for the paper that I write for. And I think that that's, you kind of see, obviously, there's a huge cross-section of those kinds of things, whether it's, you know, you have the Star Wars people and the Star Trek people, and you have people who are there for anime, and you have people who are there for all kinds of things. And it's a unique opportunity, I think, to see people who don't necessarily care about exactly the same thing, but they all know we're all people who are passionate about something, and there is that basic respect for it. Yeah, I've been to Comic-Con twice, and I didn't know, there's... There's no judgment, really. You could be yeah. dressed as Princess, Slade Princess Leia, or some cosplay, and people are just like cool costume. They're very accepting, um, and, and I do say for the most part of the Disney communities we've met, 
uh, have been accepting. We used to go to Mouse Fest in Florida, Disney World, and there were some standoffish groups, but in most part, everybody was pretty friendly. And that has kind of died out. I'm not really sure why. There's a lot of different stories why Mouse Fest died, but um, uh, you know, I was interested in your first visit to Disney World because I did it in 75, shortly after my father died, my mom took us out there. Then went back, and when I've introduced new people to Disney World, when I've had the chance to be there with them, who are Disneyland people, you know, it's because it's a very shocking, I think a little shocking because it's so so large. And you, yeah. when you went, things have changed a little bit. The lockers used to be under the Main Street train station. Mm-hmm. And I guess after 9-11, they were worried about what could be put in a locker and under the train station. So I think it's, it's uh, stroller rental or something. So I try to get my guys that don't try resist looking down Main Street. Let's go up those those stairs in the middle, get up to that platform, and just soak it in. Was it that kind of like, wow, I can't believe how big it is when you were there? The scope was really surprising, and you know, I think of the walkways, and I was, you know, my wife was here with me, and I, it doesn't come nearly as often as I do, and there's. That you know, you know where those bottlenecks are in Disneyland, and it's just it's maddening. And you realize someone actually figured out that you could actually build something bigger if you had enough space that you could actually fit the number of people that that are going to be in this place. And I mean, the reaction was both the size of the you know the castle and the size of the walkways, and realizing that that you know the intimacy that I was familiar with as a native Californian who had only experienced Disneyland previously doesn't mean it doesn't have its its own unique flavor that still makes it special and that it doesn't have to be this little tiny walt walk tier place in order to still have that amazing quality. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned intimacy because I was actually going to go there without trying to be too <laughs> leading. You know, and I've always said you walk down Main Street, you hear the guy playing at Coke Corner. You used to get up and uh, what's the, it's the signing area now, the, the hamburger place and the, the dance floor. Uh, oh, I'm losing it. Long ago. Yes, Tangled now. Carnation. Oh, you're talking about the Christmas Fantasy Fair? I don't know what they call it. Next to the castle. Yeah. What what used to be the Plaza Gardens. Plaza Gardens, thank you. And you'd get up there, so you'd hear Plaza Gardens playing, you'd hear the Piano Man playing, you might hear the stage down in Tomorrow, and you could hear all that. And you get into the hub in Florida, and you're kind of like, where's the noise? You know, where's the intimacy? And since they've cut down the hub and there's no curb anymore and they've taken out all the trees, it's really just this wide expanse. And it's very overwhelming to some of my Disneyland compadres the first time they go because it's just so massive, you know. Um, Let me, I want to go back and ask you what you really thought about, like, the touring plans. I'm a very organic guy. Like I said, I took this friend of mine from Canada, big Disneyland guy, never been to Florida. And we got down to the end of Main Street. We slowly, casually walked. We had our cameras. Which way you want to go? Left. Yeah. We just went left, and we we just organically enjoyed the park. We didn't worry about running here, running there. If we stood in line, that's our chance to talk, enjoy the, the queues out there. Other than Fantasyland, are pretty interesting. They they spent time on the queue. Mm-hmm. What what what's your impression as a guy that goes a lot? Do you, do you do you feel like you really that's an advantage uh, after researching is I mean those guys put a lot of work into it but I, sometimes I feel like it takes out the spontaneity of a business I think it has a very particular market which is the people who don't have the luxury or the advantage to be able to go all the time and as someone who started using touring plans the first time I went with my kids uh, seven eight years ago now 
<coughs> and realizing that you know the, the people who are tourist visitors they're trying to get so much packed into their time and you know anyone knows their own family and their own needs are they going to need to take a break during the day or not are they going to have to you know try to hit a certain ride earlier in the day because that's when their kids not going to melt down on the scary ride you know all of those things are important and as someone who's a very I'm an organizer I'm a type A personality and that was what I needed at that time I don't need that anymore as someone who does have the luxury occasionally to be able to just walk and say I'm going to just sit in this bench for an hour on Main Street, wait for the band to walk by, just people watch. That's not something that a family who's only going one time every six or seven years has. So I'm, I'm glad that something like Touring Plants is there for that family not to feel so anxious about, can we do the things that we want to be able to do? And you can see ahead of time, yeah, we really can, and this can work. Yeah, because we've got a guy, Carl, yeah. from Mutual Friends from Texas. He's in our, let's say, our community, our podcast community. And he always felt like it was unf- he'd get out to California because the annual pass holders know all these little, let's say, ins and outs, ways to sometimes really game the system. Yeah. <laughs> that he couldn't enjoy the park because he didn't know these little gamey things to do. And he's a very tight, he's an engineer, so he's, you know, black and white. Things are have to work together. And he found it frustrating for years till he figured out the system, you know, by, you know, websites and so on and so forth. Um, you were going to try well, I was going to say the way I, I get a little bit more now talking with you my grandparents always explain when they first went to Europe they took the two week tour so you're getting this and this and this everything is organized and then they had that first chance to try it when they went back then they started going to spots they wanted to go to more and everything sure. kind of the same thing here you have this organized plan to be able to hit the park and then when you have your next chance to go and you get a little bit more going on to it and I think the idea that there is a way or there's a system that you have to master is one of the things that I think it's possible to get past if you've followed enough of these people is that there's no one way to to win Disneyland. You know, you don't you don't come at the end of the day going, Yes, I you know, I kicked that bark in the tail and I got every last, you know, ounce out of it. There are ways to spend a day at Disneyland that are that is amazing without going on a single ride, and that's hard for someone who is a first-time visitor to comprehend. Well, yeah, anybody that's laid down, especially now, over a hundred dollars. Sure, they're not going to want to sit. They want to experience it, and I still equate it to hours per dollar. I was mm-hmm. we were talking about this in the lounge one night. They're like, it's too expensive. I'm like, how much does a movie cost you, and how long you were there? And the average person will pick up a popcorn or a drink or something. Now, how much did that cost you for your hour and a half, two hours? Now, break down if you took the whole day at the park and break that $100 down. It's actually very inexpensive. But you need to enjoy it almost from opening to closing. And then taking granted, there's food costs, too. <coughs> it's actually not a bad deal. And it's a different dynamic if you're there solo, if you're there just as a couple, if you're there as a family with small children. And all of those things are different experiences, all of which can have a... a better and worse way to do it but it also depends on the personalities of the people involved you have to know if your kids are just not going to make it through a 12-hour day don't try you're going to set up your family for failure yeah, someone yeah. is going to melt um i was going to say that brings up a really good question you got to do your research you were spending a lot of time on your own and a lot of time meeting people compared to time that you get to spend with your family and their 
What was the dynamic difference between how did you feel when you were there with your family compared to how you were there when you were by yourself just doing your own thing? Well, in any given research trip, and again, this is something that was done over the space of, of almost two years, pretty much by, by myself, leaving my, my wife and kids behind as I was doing this. So I would do, I would spend some time research, but I would invariably have a couple of hours or a few hours that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And that was a crazy experience. I had really never had that before starting this process. It had always been either on a family trip as a family member. There were a couple, well, when I was, you know, in high school, I went to grad night and, you know, then you can do your thing. But it would basically been that sense of you have to sort of be doing, you have an agenda, you have to be doing certain things. And the ability to just sit and let things wash over you was really revelatory. And I think that that was a lot what allowed me a little bit more to get into this mindset. I still think it's not possible fully for me as someone who can only go two or three or four times a year to experience it in the same way as someone who has an annual pass that goes multiple times in a month. Or, but that is what I think is different is you, you appreciate it in a different way. And I, I kept using this analogy throughout it. The difference between a crush and being in love is you're gonna spot some things eventually with the thing, the person that you love that are going to be irritating but that's part of being in love with something, is you're gonna have to get past that or, or fold it into your experience and say, it's okay that it's not perfect. It's okay that I'm gonna be sweaty or be standing in a line or something's gonna break down. And that's still part of this whole thing that I love. Yeah, Mike, Mike sent me a text, he couldn't be here, our third member. Uh, and you tell me, if, you know, if we have to wrap it up, you just tell me. Um, the question was, course I should have had it right there okay um, <laughs> he just wondered if any of the fans you talked to if, if you thought their obsession was almost to the unhealthy point yeah I mean and I think what we were talking about earlier is I you know so far it has not seemed to be the case and that they are able to incorporate that into their lives and in, in ways that still seem to make sense to them and there were so many very variations I mean obviously I think people would tend to focus or think you know wow the person who's there for now you know only a thousand days in a row at the time I interviewed him or spent that day with him but now 1700 days in a row and then John Hale with his his radiator springs racers you know 7700 times going on that one ride I think those would be the things that would stand out to someone going wow how does that person have a life aside from this thing but they do and that's, you know, that it's possible for any kind of fan to have that part of their life that is passionate and it doesn't make them crazy. It doesn't make them foolish. It doesn't make them irresponsible. It just makes them someone who has something unique about their life that matters a lot to them. And it just because it doesn't make sense to someone else doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. Was there anybody you wanted to talk to that <clears throat> didn't want to participate or somebody you wish you could have got to it just didn't work out? Um, Yes, and I'd prefer not to note names because I don't think it's it's not a matter of shaming someone oh, because sure, I yeah. think there were perfectly valid reasons for I think particularly and I and I actually did mention this in the um uh, I, I did mention this in the course that there were a couple people as I was trying to get some of the voices of people who had been critical um, and some people just you know you get enough flack online and they didn't necessarily want to signal boost the flack that they got and and I think that's also an unfortunate part and, and you know, part of the fandom that is can be frustrating is you have these groups which theoretically should have so much more in common than they have separate, but they approach it from such different ways. Those who are much more about 
you know, everything that they do is wonderful, and then there are those who are think, you know, there are some problems, and those two people should, you know, should not fight as much as they well, do. One of, one of your, I understand this gentleman's <laughs> in your book, and he wants to say goodbye. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you want to lean in and tell us who you are and who you are in the book? Hi, my name is Jeff Wrights, uh, Disney 366, and uh, I'm the uh, guest that's gone to Disneyland every day since 2011. And you are, you are a vet? I am a veteran, yes. Same service, right? Yep, Air Force, and I now work at the VA Hospital Long Beach. Uh, yeah, and Long Beach, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you and I were out of work about the same time, and I was <laughs> telling them I couldn't justify it. I felt bad because I sold my pass at the time to go every day. I'm thinking, I should be looking for work. <laughs> People would shame me. You can't go. So, because I put a post up once. I said, just had a great interview. What are you going to do? Going to Disneyland. Yeah. And then somebody, <laughs> a bunch of people said, you shouldn't say that because that doesn't look I'm like, you know. The only time I really had trouble was when people thought I was using unemployment, using the state's money to, to pay, pay for, for the pass. pass. Yeah. Other yeah. than that, I never really had trouble. Um, I started out <laughs> as a, uh, through Vogue Rehab. I got in over there as a temp and then that's working there now. Actually, we're part of a vet, you know, help people find work at ADD. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things we suggested. Take the temp work, get in. So, well, thanks for your service. Thank you. Thanks for coming. And you're, and you're still making your daily run over there. 1,785 or sorry, 1,748 days. 1,748 days. Very cool. Yeah, I post live images every day. You're far more dedicated. I love the place. I don't think I could do that. That's really fun. You know, is that everyone has their own way of experiencing it. Yep. Scott's book is a nice look at some of the various ways that some of us have gotten into it, but there's a lot of others. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by. You guys have a good night. And I need to wrap up. Okay. All right. Um, so again, once you tell, so everybody knows this list. Sure. Yeah, name, rank, and serial number. Where <laughs> they can find the book, what the name of the book is. I'm, I'm not sure if we actually mentioned that in the beginning or not. Well, that's a um, wonderful point. We, yes, Happy Place, Living the Disney Parks Life is available now at thecriticalpress.com and on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com if you uh, are, are frequenters of those places, but it's it's uh, available now. Scott Renshaw, right? Yeah, it is. Okay, if you didn't say that again. <laughs> and is it available in audio or Kindle or any of those formats It yet? is Kindle, not audio at this point. I was just talking to someone. I guess it would have to be demand. So if you demand it, maybe we'll see one. Okay. All right. Great. Well, thank you for uh, letting us come by and interview you. And good luck on the book. I did enjoy it. It was an easy read. You're a very good writer. Thank you. Because um, I've read some other ones that haven't been. So I'm like, God, this is, I didn't think I'd get through it. I'm like, wow, this is, this is uh, great. So. Your paper, I sure appreciates the work that you do there because it was very enjoyable. Yeah, that was Mike's comment too. He's like, wow, this, this was such a great read. So, all right, again, yeah, appreciate it for coming by. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Have a seat.